Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we will study the most critical aspect of an individual's discipleship. It's the single greatest and most essential component to our growing in faith and in Christ-likeness. Because today we're talking about the gift of God's Spirit. God's Spirit to indwell us and to change us from the inside out. Thanks for listening to today's message as we unpack Jesus' vital teaching concerning why he must go away so that he may send us the Comforter. Well, one of the great changes that uh, all of us have received from technology over these uh, past few decades is moving from paper maps that get lost under the seat to GPS. GPS will get you wherever you need to go. You just punch in the coordinates and it'll recalculate every wrong turn. It will keep an eye in the sky through satellites where everything is at to get you to your destination. Uh, Two years ago, I was taking my family to downtown Chicago, a place where I do not frequent. Um, And we're going to go see the Bean. We were going to go take a walk in the park, go over to the shore. And one of the reasons was because I got Emily and Sadie tickets to go see a Broadway show. And so she punched in the destination, and we made our way down there. And sure enough, as we were getting really close, you could, you could even see the sign. And the, the GPS told us all the right turns. Every place we needed to make it even put the time of our arrival. It knew when we would get there. And then when we saw it, we, she unplugged her phone and took it off. And as I looked for a chance to get over, I couldn't get over. And then there were no spots, and I passed it. And now I don't know where I am or where to turn. And all I see is a bunch of one-way street signs and traffic all around. So she feverishly tries to punch it back in as I just make a random turn thinking, I'll just go around the block. And I find myself now in the right lane and they got the other traffic stopped. But there's a sign that says no turning right on red. And I'm like, I'm going anyways. And we, we made it right through there, right as the GPS came back on to tell me where I should have been and where to go. This is why I live here. (laughs) I'm not there. Wouldn't it be great if there was a um, transcendent eye in the sky that could help to direct our lives? Wouldn't it be great if there was a way by which you and I uh, had direction for where we should avoid these areas and turn to these areas? My trouble was sometimes I I don't even listen to the GPS. Anyone else guilty? I hate that thing telling me where to go and where to turn. I mute it because I don't want to listen. Sometimes I want to go where I think I need to go. You can ask my wife more about that after the service if you like. And other times I'm even slow to learn to know where it is that I, I belong. And ultimately, if we're honest, one of the greatest aids in GPS isn't getting us to the destination away from home. It's actually when I punch in the, the, um, the address to go back home. To get us back home. Do you know that God has provided for you a transcendent person, the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, not to live outside of your life, but to indwell your very body and to bring to mind all of those truths that Jesus taught the disciples while he was on the earth, helping you know, walk in this way, not in that way. Go this direction, value these things, reject those in the wrong. As we were last Sunday working through uh, what is a critical understanding of discipleship, namely that you and I find our identity 
in Christ and not in any form of self-righteousness, we were in the book of Galatians. And one of the things that we skipped over, which I'd love for you, just if you wouldn't mind turning there with me, turn, turn back to Galatians 3 uh, very briefly. Because I'd like you to see the goal to which Paul was sharing with the churches in Galatia, why it matters so much that Jesus purchased them. That's what the word redeemed means. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law. He's redeemed us from death and from hell. He's purchased us. For what? For what good now? And, and we, we really skipped over it because it needed an entire sermon in itself, which we'll direct our attention to today. Again, Galatians chapter 3. Paul writes this in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the nations, to the Gentiles, to you and I, through Christ Jesus. So that, does your Bible say so that? You've got to pay attention to that. Here's the answer to the question, why? Why is this so important to Paul? Here's why. So that by faith, we may receive the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that is so critical in, in your and in my journey of discipleship. Frankly, I, had stru- I struggled deciding at what stage do we talk about this in our study on discipleship. It almost needs to be lesson number one. Uh, just as a review, you'll recall that we, we found out, first of all, in discipleship, you and I need to deny the self. That was a, a repetition from last Sunday that self-righteousness is probably the greatest cancer in the life of a Christ follower. The second Sunday, we looked at the Word of God being that which is the most critical resource for your growth in Christ next to, just behind, what we're studying this morning, which is the Holy Spirit. This morning, as we're going to look at the Holy Spirit and pay attention to primarily his, the work that the Holy Spirit will do, we are going to be in John chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to John chapter 16. Uh, while you're turning there, we need to begin with some preliminaries. <coughs> These preliminaries are essential propositions of truth about the Holy Spirit. We, we begin with God's revealed word to help us to know why is the Holy Spirit so essential in the lives of of a disciple. And number one is for this reason. The, the Spirit of God is the number one identifier of a disciple. That without the Holy Spirit, you may call yourself a disciple, but you are not a disciple. It is only the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that reorients your ability to Follow the true living God and no longer follow after the whims of the self. And without the Holy Spirit, all you and I have is self or culture or expectations of authority in our lives. We do not have the leadership and guidance of God himself. The Holy Spirit is the number one identifier. I want to show you a few verses on that from Romans chapter 8. Paul writes, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. I'm not sure it could get any clearer than that. If you do not have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in you, you are not in the possession of God Almighty belonging to Christ. You have not been redeemed from the curse of the law. 
this again from John in 1 John. He says, this is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. All right, how do we know? How do we know we live in God? How do we know He lives in us? Because He has given us His what? The Spirit. Uh, The Spirit of God will do a work in community as well. So the, the beauty of the Trinity of God is to show the relationship between um, the, the many and the individual. And this, for us, under, uh, becomes an understanding for how the church also is designed. That you are and will always hold to your individual identity, and yet you are given a new one in Christ. You now belong to a family. You belong to a community. There is no I in community. Actually, is there? Okay. Scratch that. Scratch that. I didn't do well in spelling class. You know what I mean, though, right? There, there is no me in community. All right, that'll work. You have, you have this dual identity and the spirit of God, the spirit of God that lives in each of us. Do you know what he'll begin to do? He will begin to shape how you think so that you can operate in a community. So that your values become shared values. So that your thinking now follows after God's. That our individual characteristics, they become molded, not erased. You don't cease to become an individual. But now you have that unique thought, outlook, perspective now shaped by God Almighty. When we went on that last mission trip to the DR, we flew back into Chicago. And <coughs> I know Lois was taking a group. Uh, uh, Lisa, uh, you and your family were with Lois in the car, right? And um, I forget who was with us. Um, Penny, were you with us? Yeah. And so a- Emily and uh, the kids and Penny were with us. And we punched in the GPS, our destination home. And wouldn't you know it, of all the ways, of all the ways that you can get from Chicago to here, Lois. And our car, we're going the same way. We could have taken a lot of different roads, but we were all found in conformity, even to the point, you remember we stopped for gas? And we weren't even following them. We just both stopped at the same gas station at the same time that night. This is what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Philippi. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, comfort from his love, common sharing in the spirit. We're talking about Christians in community. Watch what he says. If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being what? Being like-minded. Having what? The same love. Being one in spirit and of one mind. I want you to know the spirit of God is the number one identifier of a disciple. Number two, evidence of the spirit is evidence of salvation. Evidence of the spirit is evidence of salvation. Nobody claims to know Jesus Christ as Lord without the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God alone in you is what produces the fruit of worship to the one true living God. It is salvation. There was a time we were going to one of Micah's football games (laughs) and uh, we got lost because I don't know where every school and football field is. And so once again, Emily pulls out her phone, punches in the address, and we were saved. <laughs> That's what it felt like. It felt like we were saved. Because now we had the direction on where to go. Evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life is evidence of salvation. Watch how the New Testament relates this. From 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. 
You can't say that if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except how? By the Holy Spirit. This, by the way, we've studied this back when we covered evangelism in the summer. Jesus is Lord is the very earliest and most succinct form of declaration and creedal recognition of who he is. Jesus is Lord is the words that only Christians speak. Uh, When you have the gospel going forth through the book of Acts, you will see uh, Peter speaking to Gentiles. This is Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. While Peter was still sharing the gospel with him, speaking the words of truth, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who came with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. How? Because they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. You, you only praise God. You only evidence worship to the one true almighty God through the indwelling of, the, of God's spirit within you. In fact, this was so critical in the early stages of the church that when it comes to the question of having to follow the law, which we've already read in Galatians, in Acts chapter 15, it was Peter who gave this report. He says, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them. How? By giving them the Holy Spirit. You are are in the family of God. You are those who will inherit salvation. Not because you went to church. Not because you got baptized or gave money. Not because you belong to a certain denomination. It is singularly and only by the indwelling of God's Spirit that you and I find salvation. So evidence of the Spirit is evidence of salvation. And then thirdly, And this will be critical for our passage today. The indwelling of the Spirit guarantees a permanent change in identity and therefore a permanent change in destination. When the Holy Spirit comes to indwell your heart, that you trust God by faith. This is God's gift to you. God gives you a present on the day of your salvation. And it's nothing short of himself in the indwelling of the Spirit, that your identity is forever changed. It is not something that you will lose in the future. It is a permanent recategorization of who you are. It's a permanent change in identity. And if there's a change in identity, there's a change, a permanent change in destination. I want to show you this again from the New Testament, Romans 8. Paul says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. You now have a new identity. You belong to a new family. Paul says, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. That's how we cry, Abba, Father, because we now have a change in our family. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, all, all of this so far is a change in identity, but we've already seen a change in identity requires a change in destination. Watch how Paul continues. He says, now if we're children, then we are heirs. That means you're going to inherit something, church. Do you know what you're going to inherit? You're going to inherit exactly that which Jesus Christ bestows upon you by his grace, which is a resurrected body, a glorious body, just like his. It is an inheritance unto eternal life. So you are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I want to just give you one more. Uh, Galatians 4, 4 through 7, Paul says, When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive adoption to sonship. That's what? Change in? 
A little, a little slow this morning, eh? Identity. Change in identity. identity. Thank you. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. That's a change in identity. Now watch this. A change in identity leads to God has made you also an heir. Change in destination. Once was lost, but now I'm found. Once was blind, but now I see. I was once a child of hell. Now. I'm a child of God. All right, these are all preliminaries. Look with me into our text right now. John chapter 16. The context here is Jesus meeting with his disciples for the last time. He's meeting with them in the upper room. This is right before he is betrayed and he goes to the cross. He tells them this in verse 5. John 16, starting in verse 5. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men don't believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. A few observations I want us to see here. Uh, There is a threefold division in the Spirit's work. What is it that the Spirit is doing? Remember, he says right up here in verse 8, when he comes... So here's the job description of the Spirit. He's going to convict the world of three things. He's going to bring conviction. This is like an internal awakening and understanding, uh, a recognition of our failure in regards to sin. Because people don't believe. People don't believe Jesus. They're living in sin. In regards to righteousness, because we've... We've had Jesus here amongst the disciples displaying and teaching and showing what righteousness looks like. But now he's going away. So we need another helper to show us what righteousness looks like. And then the third is in regards to judgment. That there is a future destination for all those who live in rebellion to God. A destination that you do not want to arrive at. In fact, it says the destination belongs to the prince of this world. Who we all know is code language to refer to who? The devil, the Satan, that's right. Jesus says he's now, he now stands condemned. It's over for him. It's done, condemned. And yet he's going to take many in his wake. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. I like us to look at these just to break them down. The first observation is that it's the Spirit's job to change our thinking from the inside out. It's the Spirit's job to change our thinking. This is what he means when he talks about in regards to sin. 
because men do not believe in him. Men on the outside, the world around, want nothing to do with Jesus. And there is zero conformity onto Christ-likeness that happens from the outside in. In fact, have you ever tried to change anybody like that? Have you ever tried that? I mean, parents, come on. You know what that's like? Frustrated as as can be to try to uh, discipline children without them seeing the merit and the values that you have. Do you know what that does? Many times it only makes kids better at hiding it from you. Good thing you don't ever do that to God. Or do you? You ever get better at just hiding? I know I do. And thank God the Spirit comes and brings conviction over that. That I need to be reminded that I fall short of his righteousness. And that sin is always on my doorstep seeking to control me. I have to be careful not to make make an avenue or permission for it. And so the inside out comes as you look with me down a little bit further. He says here in verse 13, he will not speak on his own. That's the spirit. He won't speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you. Isn't that good news? He will tell you what is to come. Verse 14 says he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to who? To you. Turn to your neighbor. Say the spirit's going to talk to you. Let's go. Here we go. Spirit's going to talk to you. Now, the aspect of this that is critical for you and I is that the spirit is not some invisible force like Star Wars. May the spirit be with you and also with you. That's Star Wars. That is not the spirit of God. The spirit of God is a person. He is a person with whom you Enter into relationship with. And how are you drawn into further understanding with a person? Do you know how? God gave you two of them on either side of your head. Right here. And we learn to listen to the Spirit of God. And that as we do, speaking from within us, He reshapes our understanding from the inside out. This is what Paul says in Romans 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed By the renewal of your mind. That's the work of the Spirit. To change how you think about this world. Now now think with me. Was there a time in your life when you thought sin was fun? Anyone honest today in church? Right? Is there a time in your life where you were even confused as to what was ethically right or wrong? Folks, you you need to know if you haven't seen it all in your own life. It is rampant in our world. A way in which people think about good and evil, right and wrong, that is not characterized by God. Because remember what Jesus said? Men don't believe me. They don't believe in me. So they need to be brought under conviction of sin. This is a change. It's a change right here, folks. It's a change in how you think. Secondly, the Spirit's job is to change our behavior by indwelling. Now, I hope it's pretty obvious for you to see that if you change someone's thinking, what are you very nearly going to change their behavior. That's right. You change a person's thinking and you will therefore then change behavior. And so this is what we have showing up in verse 10. He says, in regards to righteousness, because I'm going to the father where you can no longer see me. The disciples saw Jesus, walked with Jesus, met with Jesus. They saw how to orient the behavior of their lives according to God's plan and God's will. Now, where's Jesus? He is seated where? 
He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and he ever stands to make intercession for who? For you and I. I can't go to Nazareth or Jerusalem. I can't go and see Jesus. Jesus knows that. He knows that. That's why he tells his disciples, don't be filled with grief. It's a good thing I'm going because I'm going to send the Spirit and the Spirit will continue this transforming work. And do you know how, do you know how the Spirit's going to do it? By indwelling. Here, there's a passage. We, we didn't have time for it, but if you back up in chapter 14, I have, it, I have it here on the screen. Chapter 14 in John. Watch what the Spirit does. Jesus saying almost the same thing. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you. To be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. How? For he what? He lives with you and... Do you guys want to know what my dorm room looked like before I got married? (laughs) What what, what, did your life look like before you got married, right? What change was brought into your life when God gave you... Some of you ladies are like, yeah, it's worse. It's worse. (laughs) Um, My walls would be bare. Uh, The table would have no flowers. There'd be nothing. It'd be very functional if you came over to my house. But my wife has turned what is a house into a into a home, something that feels welcoming and beautiful. And then there's some bad habits too, some things that don't belong. And she helps, she helps clean some of that up too. Now, as great as my wife is, do you know who's even better to come to live with you? It's, it's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God does not come with oppression of a whole list like we saw last Sunday of doo-doos. Do you know what doo-doo smells like? <laughs> and don't do's. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. He brings change by moving in. How awesome is that? The Holy Spirit's form of changing your behavior is to live with you, to dwell with you. And the word that we have is indwelling. I want you to see very simply that all of this truth comes on the heels of a single characteristic of a disciple that was at the beginning. What was at the beginning? If you love me, do what? Change your behavior. Right there. If you love me, do what I say. If you love me, follow my commands. And every single one of us would screw it up on, our, on ourselves, on our own. Every single one of us could not do it. God says, I'm going to send you a helper. Thank goodness you're going to get a helper to help live with you, live in you, to clean all that up. And the last thing that he says, <coughs> excuse me, we haven't talked about last year, is that I will not leave you as orphans. And that moves us to our third and final observation. The Spirit's job is to change our family through the new birth. The Spirit's job is to change our family. I want you to know as well, this is one reason why sometimes your own family members are um, a little offended at your commitment to Jesus Christ. Because when you become a disciple, a follower of Jesus, you have just introduced a new family. There's now another family. And if they don't know Jesus, it will not feel like a harmonious community. It will feel like competition. You, you have another family in your life. And yet this is the very thing that you and I need. We need to belong to God's family. And the Spirit of God makes that change in us. We already saw the verses from Romans and Galatians where we call out to him, Abba, what? Abba, Father. That's a change in family. I want to show you just a couple others from Romans chapter 8. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Children of God. First Peter says it in this, this way. Um, this is the apostle Peter who, who knew and walked with Jesus. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us a new birth. A new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He repeats this a little further. For you have been born again. The word means born from above. Not from perishable seed, but imperishable. Namely, the spirit of God. Now there is in, unfortunately, many churches some confusion over that terminology. Born again. Some churches will teach that to be born again means that you have to have some type of emotional response. And that as long as you have this experience in your life, that characterizes you as being born again. Others say that it's a commitment to some form of intellectual confession. This is what a born again person says. And by ascending to that intellect, that makes you born again. There are even some other dreadful examples where they will place upon the disciple the impossibility of having to be perfect because you've been born again. Or that you can only belong to this denomination because you've been born again. Or that you prayed a prayer one time and that is the end of it has made you born again. Why don't we look at the passage that talks about being born again? Because I think it's very simple what it says. This is John chapter 3. Jesus replied, he's speaking with Nicodemus, a Pharisee. He replied, very truly, I tell you, nobody can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. By the way, the Greek word there for again is also rightly translated born from above. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to To spirit. Here's how this unfolds for you and I. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you do, you will die dead. That day, did they die dead? This is a trick question, by the way. This is one that comes up in Bible study. That day, did they die dead? Correct. They died, but they didn't die physically yet. They died spiritually. Meaning this. The spirit of God that was given to the human creature is now broken in its relationship with God. It's dysfunctional. It doesn't operate the way that it should. In fact, you could characterize it as dead. Spiritually dead. Non-responsive to God, to its creator. And the the remedy for this? It isn't praying a prayer. It isn't belonging to a denomination. It isn't having some emotional experience. The remedy for this is having your spirit born Again, so that it's alive. That's what it means to be born again. It means you have, a li- you have the spirit of God living in you so that your spirit once more can find communion and relationship conforming the rest of you to the will of God Almighty. It means to be born of the spirit. That's what it means to be born again. And so I want you to simply see that if you change your birth, what else do you change? You change your family. Three conclusions I'll go through quickly on this. How does the Spirit create discipleship in our lives? Firstly is this. A true disciple is in the process of developing a continuity of their mind with God's mind by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you are a disciple, there is no version of true discipleship where you remain resistant to the change that God wants to bring in your life. 
Listen, God will accept you right where you are today. But he will not leave you where you are today. He will accept you right now, just the way that you are. But he won't leave you there. You can think with me a few examples of this. Uh, the, The man who was healed of leprosy. Everybody else is abandoning him. Jesus accepts him and then instructs him. Now I want you to go and do this. Go and show the priests. How about the woman caught in adultery? You know the story? They catch her in the act. And there she is, condemned by everybody. Does Jesus condemn her? He accepts her. And does he then leave her to continue in sin? No, he says, go and sin no more. And maybe you, like me, find identity like the apostle Peter. Peter, who makes so many mistakes over and over. God accepts him. Tells him that he prays for him. Jesus prays for him. And then even after Peter disowns him three times, God doesn't leave him where he's at. He restores him. God wants to change your thinking. This is a process in the life of a disciple, and it is a process of conformity or continuity, that you begin to think the way God thinks. I want to give you one verse for this. This comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says, What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual truths or spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept them, the things that come from the Spirit, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them. Why? Because they're only discerned how? Through what? Through the Spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgments on all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have what? I can't even tell you the magnitude of this. Like I am dialing this sermon back. You just need to know. I'll go two more hours on this because this is incredible. By the way, thank you for your attention and patience so far. You got you to gotta agree with me though. This is an incredible gift that God would download into your body, your heart, his mind through the indwelling of the spirit to direct you and guide you and teach you. All right, so that's first thing. It's a, it's a process of continuity. Second thing, how does the spirit create discipleship? A true disciple is in the process of growing in righteousness because their identity is in Christ through the rebirth of the spirit. Make no mistake that it is not a righteousness derived from yourself. We covered that last week. That is called self-righteousness. It must come at a denial of yourself for you to enter into true discipleship with Jesus. But Jesus doesn't leave you where he finds you. He grows you. He teaches you so that you look less like you. And you look more like him. I want to share with you this passage from Titus 3. Paul says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done. Are we clear on that? Who, who here is righteous? Just him. Only Christ. But because of his mercy, that's why he saved us. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out generously on us through Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace we might become heirs of the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to what? Oh, look at that. Good works. Righteous works. Things that bring honor to God. 
His desire, and this says this is good for everybody, is that your knowledge through the Holy Spirit of retraining your thinking will lead to a change in behavior. That he is going to work out righteousness in your life. Remember, that was the second aspect of the job description. The Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin, thinking. Righteousness, that's behavior and how you and I live. So that's our second point. Third point, if you're tracking in the text, hopefully you're thinking judgment, because that's exactly correct. A true disciple is in process of being guided home towards resurrection as guaranteed by the Spirit's sealing. Paul says to the Corinthian church, now the one who fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come in Ephesians 1. You also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Let's just time out for a second. What's the timing on this? When are you marked with the Holy Spirit? When are you sealed with the Holy Spirit? Did you see it? When you believed. That's how this works. The Spirit of God, the person, third person of the Trinity comes to live and indwell you when you unseat yourself from the throne of your life. And when you place Jesus Christ there, you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who is what? Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. That's destination right there. Until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. A true disciple is in process of being guided home. Now, let me ask you the question. Do you ever take wrong turns? What, what is the ubiquitous phrase from our GPS when you make a wrong turn? What does it say? Recalculating. 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 Do you know how patient our GPS is? <laughs> it'll, it'll keep recalculating. It'll keep recalculating. Listen, the Holy Spirit will do the same for you because he is a deposit sealing you for God, guaranteeing your destination. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will carry you all the way home. So what do you and I do with this today? Well, one of the things I need to do a better job with the GPS is listening to it. One of the things I need to do a better job is listening to the Holy Spirit. It starts there. Have you ever been in a relationship with somebody who doesn't listen to you? How's that feel for that person? Right? You know what this feels like. The Spirit of God is speaking to you, church. He's speaking to you. Um, you actually have this great phrase from 1 John. John says, we're from God and whoever knows God listens to us. Isn't that interesting? Whoever knows God is going to listen to John in John's testimony. Whoever is not from God doesn't listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. What John is writing in the New Testament, what he's teaching, what Peter writes, what Paul writes in the New Testament is going to be found in conformity if you listen to it. Do you know that your GPS also has to follow in conformity? Do you know what your GPS is in conformity with? Look at this thing. Look at this antique I found. You guys know what? Remember what these did? You used to have to use these, didn't you? How, how, how do you test if your GPS is right? It's, yeah, you check the map. It, it, everything that the GPS says, if it's true, will conform to this right here. How do I know if God is speaking to me? How do I know if the spirit that I'm, I'm hearing is truly from God? Do you guys know? It'll conform to something right here. It'll conform to this. 
And so the way that you and I know that you're hearing from God is by listening. And by listening, devoting ourselves to this as the continuity in conformity with his plan and his will. Secondly, you and I need to learn. Uh, The spirit uh, is said will guide us into all truth. This is verse 13. But when he comes, the spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. Uh, It's the same thing that's referenced in chapter 15. Same thing that he says, chapter 14 about the Holy Spirit. Um, Here's a neat thing about GPS. Every now and then, uh, I need it to show me the way to go again. But if I do it often enough, guess what I don't need anymore? I don't need the GPS anymore because now I know. Because now I know. And I, I will develop in my life the habits and the patterns that are now part of who I am. The character of God will be manifest in your life when you learn from the Holy Spirit. One more that I want to give you and then we're done for this morning is that you learn to follow And the reason why you and I follow is because the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not an inanimate object. The Holy Spirit is a person. And over and over you have in the Gospels the invitation that is given. Follow me. Follow me. This week your life is going to be given opportunity to do this. You're going to have individuals, phone calls, coworkers, neighbors, people in your life, spouses, children, grandchildren who are going to test you. The Spirit of God who lives in you like a GPS will help to direct you and shape you. Are you willing to follow, church? Are you willing? Yes or no? Yes. Let's pray together this morning.